Welcome to a new world of entertainment. The Ultimate Film Television Podcast. Featuring Mike Winkler. Alistair Englehart. Daniel English. Jeremy Larson. And Jason Kabasi. Created by friends. All film lovers. We feature in-depth discussions. And celebrity interviews. This podcast is available on all major platforms. Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast. On this episode... This isn't over. I know. I could see it in your face. Just like you knew the moment you looked at me, that I was coming with you. We're in. You've never believed in the one. I still don't. I believe in him. Mr. Anderson, welcome back. We missed you. I believe it is our fate to be here. I know what I have to do. Here we go. Our Matrix retrospective comes to an end. On each episode, we will be discussing each movie in the Matrix trilogy. We will be doing in-depth discussions, so... This retrospective will contain spoilers. I imagine this moment so long. But I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. And now, our discussion on The Matrix Revolutions. We're back to The Matrix, the finale of The Matrix, for now until later this year. But the end of the trilogy is upon us, guys. So welcome back, Alistair, Jeremy, and Jason. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, thank you. Gosh, having, okay. just, having just watched John Wick, they look so young. <laughs> <laughs> they look so um, young in Matrix. <laughs> I know that. Uh, I know at least Jeremy uh, and me were very divided on Reloaded with uh, with Jason. Um, mm. It caused a bit of a stir, I think, last episode that was kind of fun. Um, if but I wanted to Reloaded start... was still a good movie. <laughs> but I wanted to start, since we didn't get Alistair's opinion on Reloaded. Uh, give us a little bit of your thoughts, Alistair, on the second film. Oh, gosh. Put me on the spot, Mike. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I I, um, I didn't get a chance to rewatch Reloaded um, mm-hmm. uh, in anticipation of the podcast. But um, I, I there's a couple scenes that I really in, remember enjoying. One was the, the, fi- the fight scene with the Agent Smiths. Which we just saw that that little uh, pipe wielding moment with Neo in I, that that was a, a moment that I, I was really impressed by the special effects and I think that they were able to maintain that level of impressiveness on through Revolutions um, with the effects piece. But um, gosh, I'd, I'd have to think about it, Mike. Maybe you can come back to me. <laughs> All right, we'll circle back at the end of the show when we do our ranking. I don't remember trilogy. disliking it as much as I did not enjoy Revolutions. I'll say that much, but it sounds like I'm in the minority in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of a interesting episode last one. Uh, I think Jason <laughs> uh, ganged up on as he nods his head. <laughs> you all can be wrong. That's fine. <laughs> it's objective, as in the words of Jeremy Larson. <laughs> but uh, okay, so maybe we'll, we won't be as divided on revolutions. So who wants to, you know, get on the floor and speak their thoughts? 
So I, I alluded to it a little bit with the special effects piece, but I feel like the the most impressive part about Revolutions is the special effects, which I think is I think is uh, a little bit unfortunate, and I think that's probably where, in terms of our uniformity and and our disappointment with the film, I think that's perhaps where it comes from. Because I, I I guess I was expecting a lot more of a climax to the storyline and i feel like they kind of painted themselves into a corner with the intense philosophy that they introduced in the first film and just didn't go anywhere with i felt like they they, they left enough abstract ideas floating out there in matrix one that you're expecting in, in reloaded and revolutions that they're going to connect all the pieces right and they just they just never did maybe that's because they anticipated matrix four from the from the get-go but <laughs> Um, I wish I could give them I, credit. I just, yeah, I just think it, it kind of, it, rather than coming together in, in a cohesive piece, it ended up just kind of slowly floating away. The questions that we never got answers to that we must somehow be okay with not getting answers to. Um, and I also, I felt like, I'll say one more thing and then I'll, I'll turn it over, but the, um, the character development just didn't get there for me. Um, to the point where I, I did not, I cared more about, um, I cared more, it had more emotional impact on me watching Cars 3 with my toddler wow. recently and, and kind of seeing oh, Jason, some of the things that these characters go there. Than, it did, than it did Matrix Revolutions. And, and to me that just, I think that just, um, I think that for me just confirmed that they, they didn't do a good job really developing the characters as they ought to have. If I could interject before Jason yeah, before to blow up on you, I'm going to have to disagree with you on character development because <laughs> I think one character who kind of finally found his stride and found his place in the movies was Agent Smith there mm. at the end because sure. he finally became the villain that we were all looking... We, we all kind of didn't expect, I guess... Because you see him in the beginning, you know, he's, he's just the, the main agent. That's all he is. He becomes a, a little bit bigger of a threat, but you kind of wonder, maybe the, maybe the machines will be able to take care of it in some way or form. But in, in the third one, that is all him. That's everything yeah. is Agent Smith. Huh. He becomes a fully-fledged character. His emotional range is outstanding because he's a machine and suddenly able to... Uh, to to put out emotions yeah, like emote. Uh, yeah 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 he's, he's yeah. able to emote and it's it's great yeah. to see that from someone who's using emotions for the first time sure. like he's he shows uh, impatience is not a machine he's a rogue he's a program from machines that went completely rogue well yeah he was a, an, he was well, a program he was the other half of that anomaly that neo is he is the absolute he's the polar opposite which completely rectifies all of his personality traits because it is the it is the polar opposite of neo uh -huh. sure and i like that he was able to embody not only the 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 negative of neo in physicality and in kind of uh posture i guess like he, even the even the fact that he kept his suit instead of changing his garments he still sure sees himself in the right as in as as an authority figure like he still sees himself as that portion yeah. whereas neo is the 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 kind of the chaotic other half mm, yeah i think we're, we're dan here he would definitely agree with you <laughs> before you say jason because i know yours is going to be an interesting uh, topic on this but uh no I, um character development um I love Agent Smith's development in this movie. I, I think he is far beyond better in this film than he was in Reloaded. Reloaded, mm -hmm. I felt like he was just given that dribble of dialogue that he was just, I'm tough, I'm badass, you know, blah, blah, blah. Where yeah. in this film, you, you feel his drive, you feel his purpose, you feel the, the rivalry between him and Neo. Um, I think a lot more here. Um, I think the only problem I have as far as character development, Al, would be I never really fully bought Neo and Trinity's love story. Sure. I always had a little bit of a problem with it, and I don't know if it's Keanu Reeves' kind of, like we talked about yesterday, his stoic acting at, at points. Mm -hmm. I don't know if yeah. it's that so much, or is it just the lack of chemistry between the two of them? I don't know. I felt like the love story, even in the first film, was a little forced, and that we never really get that full-blown 
uh, development of the relationship in the sequels that I think we deserve to get, especially since at the end of this film, it's supposed to be truly heartbreaking when Trinity dies. Hmm. I just, I never really felt the connect. I felt more of her death as being a major character versus her relationship with Neo. I'm going to, I'm going to add a little bit more to that. When Trinity Mm -hmm. dies and Neo cries, that's my it's sticky moment for the movie. Yeah. The the cry is, is so, it it feels forced and fake at the same time. It doesn't feel real. And it's the, the way he's able to mourn for maybe two seconds does not give into the fact that their relationship was a big part of this whole yeah. trilogy. Yeah. That, Which is they, what, that just wasn't playing to Keanu's strings. Yeah. No, right. and that's what it concerns just, me. Uh, yeah. That's what concerns me about Matrix 4, because when they're saying that Matrix 4 is going to be very much a love story, I'm thinking <sighs> it might already be <laughs> failing because they didn't pull off the love story <laughs> to begin with. So it's Half like the audience the already decided it, it, also depends, it, it also depends on how they write it. If they write it in a good way, that could play to Keanu's strengths, mm-hmm. he'll be able to pull it off. Because he is, he, since it's been so long since these movies came out, and he has evolved himself as an actor, I think that he can come back and make this worth it. That or they, they could get an actor who can do it and there's just deep fake Keanu. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Keanu. Uh, you're not right, getting here, much right. credit. Here comes Jason. Okay, here we go. Character development. Agent Smith had the best character development of anyone throughout this entire trilogy. Okay. Hands down, you can, you will not be able to change my mind on this, no matter what. I can agree with that. Second point. The love story between Neo and Trinity is a complete farce. <laughs> it is way too forced. Way too overhyped. I'm sorry, Keanu Reeves, as good of an actor as he can be, this was not the role for him, I think, when it comes to showing emotion. Hmm. He is not someone that is capable of showing emotion like that. (laughs) (laughs) This was that was was very forced. Trinity's death still annoys the hell out of me because of her supposed coming back in this one. I'm sorry. How do you come back from being impaled 50 times through spice fights? Cyborg. Um, She's half cyborg. Gonna call it right now. It makes sense. I'd buy that. (sighs) Either that that or the machines were able to get to her fast enough to upload her mind into the Matrix. That's the only only thing I can think of, Jeremy. I could but buy that. How long would that have, how quick would that have to have been? Because I'm pretty sure that the mind dies after, what is it, three, four minutes of no oxygen? Well, with, with modern technology, yes. This yeah, is also it, very it advanced technology. I'm sure they could science <laughs> yeah. it all away. But third point here, and this is going to the theory craft videos I've mentioned previously. The Train Man and the Merovingian are the former Oracle and Architect. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I yeah. can believe that. The Train Man in specific is one that I want to talk about mm-hmm. uh, right now. Is If you look at the uh, scenes in the train station with between Neo and the Train Man, how Neo had no use of his powers whatsoever, and how... The one specific line that uh, the train keeper said was, down here, I'm God. Mm-hmm. And how he was able to easily overpower Neo with just one punch down there. Mm-hmm. I, you could, like, just something about that just screamed, he wrote the code, or he overwrote the code, or wrote everything about that room. Like, he designed it, developed it, everything, mm-hmm. in, in that own little world of his. That's something that only I think that it, the architect would be capable of doing. Yeah. A, yeah. B is another line that I, another couple of things, little bits and pieces here that people might have missed the first time they watched it. Is the I I would call it the creepy little scene where Niobe uh, sees the train man down uh, later in the movie, and how he's just talking about seventy two hours. 72 hours, that's how long Scion lasted the last time. 
as he's just get this weird, creepy expression the entire time, just as he's backing away back towards the end of the tunnel where it's completely dark. That means must mean that he had to have been the previous architect to be able to know that Scion only lasted 72 hours last time. That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, that, that actually makes sense. I mean, considering how much the Merovigian and and, and the, 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 the train guy is, how much they know, um, their knowledge of everything that happens in the Matrix is too far advanced to just be those characters. They mm -hmm. have the same kind of... Um, intelligence that the oracle and the architect had so i could definitely buy into that jason i could and it's just like how i think that the merovingian was the previous oracle and everything it's just the little bits and pieces you pick up between the second and third movies when we get introduced more and learn more about the character you like his obsession like with his hatred towards the current oracle wanting the oracle's eyes and all that mm -hmm. just just little bits and pieces just make me think and realize here that he had to have played a major part in a previous version of the Matrix. Do you think it's possible the reason why he wanted the Oracle's eyes was because maybe she took something from him that made her the Oracle? Or it could be that he wanted to regain the, you know, the powers of being the Oracle. Right, yeah. I don't know. That that, that kind of never really gets explained. He wants the eyes, but we're never really told why. Mm -hmm. Matrix 4. Well, yeah. Which is what I'm hoping that they talk about more in Matrix 4 is, you know, the current or the current architect that we have, the current Oracle, you know, fucking mm -hmm. old man River, let him let, make him a major part of the story, I think. It let us see more of him, not just these little vague bits and pieces that we get from Reloaded and Revolutions. You know, give us something about him that would get a lot more people that criticized his role in the in these films. Mm -hmm. You know, something to actually look forward to, something to go, oh, okay, this makes sense now. Well, Lambert Wilson, who played the Merovigian, is confirmed to be returning in Matrix 4. So oh, wow. you will get more of his character. So maybe that will kind of go that direction that you're talking about. Good. Yeah. About mm -hmm. damn time. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, in, the law, in, the, in the big, bigger scheme of things, I personally, I felt myself enjoying watching Revolutions more than I did Reloaded, considering I did both these rewatches a couple of weeks apart. I just found myself more emotionally invested and more interested in Revolutions. And I don't know if it's because I felt like the movie took itself a little bit more seriously than Reloaded. Reloaded kind of felt campy to me and just kind of like it was, I don't want to call it a parody of the first film, but it didn't feel as serious as the first film. It, it focused it's, too much on the action than it did the, the um, original concept. Mm -hmm. You see, for me, there were... I could. I'm kind of. It's a toss-up for me as to which one I preferred more between Reloaded and Revolutions, mm -hmm. and that's because each different key points to me like that stood out as emotional investments to me. It's like the big speech of Morpheus in uh, Reloaded when they were in Scion, and mm -hmm. then it's the last. It's essentially like the last stand in Scion against the machines. Uh, mainly forget what his name was, but the captain that was on the um, one bridge that was shooting at that wave of machines that were coming at Captain Mafuni. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that mm -hmm. he had like he knew that there was no way that he was getting out of there alive. It, oh, yeah, but the last stand against saving Scion, there like that was a good emotional investment point for me too as well. Like, they each had their different highs and lows to me, and it's just a toss-up as to which one. Honestly, at the top, which day would I want to watch the other over the other? The thing is, is that I I think that car chases are a dime a dozen in, in Hollywood. I think the attack on the dock was far better than the freeway chase in Reloaded. Miles better. And mm -hmm. I would say that the Agent Smith versus Neo fight in Revolutions was way better than oh, yeah. the one in Reloaded, too. Than the pole? Well, I... Oh, yeah. 
Okay, at at first, the the swarm of Smiths, as the scene is called, it it was it was good and entertaining, but then it just became it, they Too went much. over the top. They went over sure. the top with how Too many much. Smiths were there. Yeah. Yeah, way too much. It felt that that scene right there felt like a parody of the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. And let's be honest, any fight scene in the rain, it's always good. It's it always was, good. It was really good. And they played that rain to the Not screen. always. Not always, Mike. It has to be done right. This one was done right. Yeah. Well, I can't find many fights in the rains that are bad unless it's a very bad movie to begin with. But I mean yeah, there's not like many. Said, fights well, that movie. goes to show that it can be done wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anything in cinema can be done wrong if they try hard enough, and mm-hmm. and they exactly. do. Exactly. Like cars. Oh. <laughs> That's not even fair. <laughs> I had to go after Alistair there for that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> So okay. what, what do you guys think of the uh, battle in Zion? To 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 me, um, it felt a little bit small scale, not in terms of the sheer numbers of people coming, but I think of how Minas Tirith and Lord of the Rings was portrayed. It felt it felt like a, a battle of the scale we were intended to think of it as, mm-hmm. whereas Zion to me just didn't feel like there was there was as much going on and as much space as I would have expected for a battle that was kind of the climax of. Zion's existence. Well, uh, I was actually, when you think about it, it wasn't supposed to be that big of a like a last city front. To, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you there because they show when they show Zion and the Matrix Reloaded, it is far bigger than I ever expected the last of humanity to actually be. The, the mm-hmm. people who are unplugged and for how many people who were born outside the Matrix for how many years. You'd figure that there would be a bigger and better defense at the dock point. Uh, how many people, right. with the population that there is of Zion? I'm just all right. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll get that one to you, Jeremy. Yeah, I, I. The other thing I found myself wondering was going back to the advanced technology. Why? Why was it such a struggle for? the machines to wipe out organic beings like why wouldn't it have been a challenge to just simply if they had bored through drop a nuke in there instead of like these like laser beams trying to pick off humans one by one you know what i mean that just i i I couldn't really figure that one out like why it was such a the the reason being i'm gonna gonna give you yeah yeah go for it i I, Um, i want to yeah well, here it is. The machine's main conflict with the with humanity is the fact that they need a power source, something to resupply them. They're not mm. going to waste nuclear fission energy on I dropping see. a nuke down into humanity when that could be a potential energy waste for them. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a bunch of batteries. They would rather use just regular hack-and-slash machines going down there and just slicing everybody up rather than uh. dropping some sort of bomb in there. And I know that they have like little explosives, like they used on the Nebuchadnezzar, and when sure. they were shooting at the. Uh, not to uh, mention, one. not to mention, I think that even through everything, like the machines are still trying to understand, you know, humanity itself. I don't mm-hmm. think they just end up going, "All right, fuck this. We don't want to learn anything else about them. Drop the nuke and end it." They're still mm-hmm. going to be looking to try and build that human that utopia for humanity mm-hmm. within the matrix and all that to try and understand you know what it is about uh humanity that you know organic beings love what makes them them what makes them tick what makes them motivated everything mm-hmm. if they did that i think that would kind of defeat the, their whole purpose of what they're trying to do mm-hmm. sure yeah yeah, I, I I liked the battle. I thought the battle was pretty well done. Um, I love the mech suits. Uh, I, you're you're not going to yeah. change my mind no, on it. I think the mech suits are awesome. <laughs> Avatar stole those. Oh, for sure. I mean, yes, we, we, I mean, I guess you could say that this kind of stole from aliens, and Cameron did Avatar. So did Cameron really steal it from Matrix, or did Matrix steal yes, it from aliens? What was that one that had the massive robot? Was it Oculus Rift? There was oh, there's 
Do you the mech suits? Some... Yeah. Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pacific Rim. Oculus I mean, Rift like is, a, is a VR headset. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? To me, Pacific Rim was the better, better movie or the better version of Transformers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Much better. <laughs> Then again, Michael Bay standards are not very high, so that's not a hard bar to hit. So, you know, that's a whole different story. All you need to know about Michael Bay standards is how big of an explosion can it make? Yep. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? I mean, my God. That guy is a sham to directing. <laughs> he makes studios a lot of money, so he's doing something right. <laughs> because people have such short attention spans that they see a big boom and they go, ooh, money, here you go. want <laughs> <laughs> that money. <sighs> God, those Transformers always made way too much money for their own good. Yeah, they did. There's no reason for them to make any more than, I think, two of them. Oh, Maybe in three. Yeah, they they was, it was Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> it was all Shia LaBeouf. LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Uh, he went and just did it, all right. Um, do you guys know, um, now in the movie, when, when they uh, we see a new Oracle, the reason why, I don't know if anybody knows this, that the reason why the film uses a different Oracle and they provide an explanation as to why she looks different is because uh, the woman that played the, yeah, the, the one original one, I think, died. She did. She died. So I thought they did a pretty good job explaining that, even though. Sure. I thought it was great. Yeah, even though they kind of like explained yeah. it, but they didn't like really explain it for what it was. Say because yeah. I thought the one that we had in the first Matrix film was the better of the two oracles that we saw, but mm-hmm. they, like I said, they did a really good job explaining it with yeah. the um, transition mm-hmm. between the two. I'm kind of glad they did explain it, and they didn't just like go along with it like many recasting decisions go. I'm, I'm glad that they actually were able to write an explanation and to kind of yeah. explain and like, it. They wrote it into the, the dialogue really well into explaining, I'm sorry that you couldn't, I couldn't be here the same mm-hmm. way that you saw me before. Which, it, that was a very powerful line because then it just shows that she knows they don't mm-hmm. trust her as much and the way, the way she talks. Right. Mm. Right. Her words don't mean as much because she's now, wait, you're not that person anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish that Maggie Gyllenhaal had given a similar monologue when she replaced Katie Holmes in Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Hey, I, I'm one that I don't really oh, have she a did whole... a She did a great job in the transition between that. Didn't you find the dialogue <laughs> oh. with her getting burnt to bits? A great <laughs> crackle crackle I, mean, I didn't have as much problem as a lot of people did with Katie Holmes in the first movie I thought that she played the character to what it was supposed to be in the first film but Maggie Gyllenhaal's version of the character was more mature in the Dark Knight so I thought she was depressing in the Dark Knight like every <laughs> she dialogue was. Yeah. she was incredibly sounded... depressing in the, the Dark Knight her best line in that movie was clicking fire everywhere <laughs> I don't remember ordering extra crispy, but hey, I'll take it, I guess. <laughs> You'll get it. <laughs> I don't know if she's KFC or Popeyes, but she's extra crispy. <laughs> but anyway, going off, going back on track here, um, what did you guys think of the dialogue between the architect and the oracle at the end of uh, Revolutions? It left it very open-ended for me. Yep. A lot of my questions are from that are from that scene, big time. That's what I was thinking as well. Yeah. Um, what and then so going over the ending of Revolutions here, do you guys think Neo is alive or dead? I think he's alive, dead, or the version of Neo that we know right now before we go into four, or is a, this a, a better question? To that is. Did you think that he was alive or dead before you knew they were going to make Matrix 4? Better yeah, that is dead. I thought he was dead. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. He's dead. You know, part the of reason me, I thought I, he was alive. Yeah, I'm with you, Jace. I never fully believed that Neo was dead. I thought, I thought that his death was too easy at the end of Revolutions, mm. and I felt like that it was a very anticlimactic death. 
And I thought, well, either this is a yeah. very anticlimactic death or there's more to it and he's actually alive somewhere in the Matrix or in the machine hey, or there, something. The yeah. thing that made me think that he was alive is the fact that the machines just gently like like carried him off into the sunset. Yep. Like like they were gonna be doing what they could to repair him, like mm, any damages that were sure. done to him. Mm -hmm. They would have recognized that he was, yeah. Machines would have discarded him immediately if they had recognized that he was dead, sure. After getting back into this retrospective, my view has changed on that to where I do think that he is alive. Before, when I initially saw it, I thought that his body had taken too much of a shock from the program of Smith to warrant him actually being alive. Mm -hmm. But because of what we've been talking about, how how the Matrix Four is coming back, and how Neo and Trinity are in it, it's not to say that he could also be into the Matrix, or they could have repaired his body enough because they have the the ability to do so. Because I they, mean, obviously, go ahead. They they have been keeping humans in pods for so many years. I don't think it's mm -hmm. it's too much to put past them that they could just grow another limb or another, you know any body part that he would need from his genetic code to put it in there. I don't think that's too far-fetched. But here's the thing, though. It's not really so much a body part that he would need as it is just more of the psychological shock, I guess, of what happened in the Matrix, like, to affect him mentally. Like, well, that could have caused the complete shutdown of his brain. And that could be a part of the fact that it's going to be a love story, is that maybe they both, both Trinity and Neo, forget their lives because of the shock that they experienced in death, that they came back with amnesia, and they have to kind of jolt that back for him to maybe become oh, the my. one again. Uh, I'm so close to puking, Jeremy. <laughs> no, it's a viable theory. No. I, not, I, I agree with you. I, I could see them taking that direction. <laughs> There's a, I, it's, a, it's kind of a popular trope. Is that, you know, a per. A, I'm sure it's going to be Love and Thunder, too. Oh, no. <sighs> no. I mean, obviously, the biggest question is we we all can see scenarios on how Neo is alive. It's just the whole Trinity thing. I just, I don't, yeah, I, know. I don't know how they're going to bring her back in a way where it's going to seem yeah, like that one's oh, okay. Always going to be iffy on is Trinity. How is she going to get brought back? How are they explain? How are they going to explain her being in this movie? Because I, I'm still going to be skeptical of the fact that she was literally turned into a shish kebab. Maybe, maybe the way that yeah. they'll, they'll uh, prevent them both from dying is they'll sew their bodies together. Uh, we talk, <laughs> oh my I, God. Sewing their bodies together. Are we talking about like, okay, I've got questions here. Like stitching them together like some um, weird, <laughs> I guess almost like voodoo doll type thing? Me, or or, are, we, or yeah, are we talking right. about like some human centipede sewing together? Because oh. I have issues... And we need to talk, Alistair, about your psychiatric levels at this point in past case. <laughs> hey, look, let's be honest. I wouldn't put it past the Wazowskis. You can tell just by watching two and three, they like uh, BDSM. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to do a human centipede thing. I, 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 <laughs> I still have never seen that movie. <laughs> I feel like I've gotten or, many warnings not to. <laughs> I'm not going to see it either. What if, what if they're able to because she kind of had enough room for her to technically jack in if they were able to get to you know back there what if they were able to upload her mind into the matrix and create with uh, the basic kind of outline of trinity and mm -hmm. her personality and kind of force it into a program kind of like seraph hmm yeah, and, and more like a bodyguard figure because she has such a yeah. deadly reputation, right? And Agent Smith's journey, despite the fact that he had um, Neo to some degree imparted upon him, I, I to me communicates that a consciousness can develop apart from the physical body within the Matrix, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, I guess yeah. that happened. So so that's the one thing I want to talk about real quick too before we go into anything else. What that's the like pretty much like the beginning, like 15, 20 minutes of this film when Neil gets blinded by the Agent Smith that got, that essentially got uh, 
brought into the real world. Bane. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought that was cool. I thought that part of the story was really well done. I think that Agent Smith being out in the real world, experiencing real feelings, real emotions, and I think this is what gave. I think this is like all the Agent Smiths are connected together, whether it's through the Matrix or the one that got through into reality. Mm -hmm. I think that it's because of this moment in particular that we see the Agent Smith, like the main Agent Smith that we've known throughout all the films at the very end Mm -hmm. to be like why he showed so much emotion and all that. Like he got that taste of reality. He got Mm -hmm. that taste of what humanity is and it affected him immensely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I think that was the key piece that he needed to, you know, Com- fully complete his programming. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess now that we've talked about the ending, I guess my biggest question, and this is the question I've been waiting to ask since we started this retrospective, your expectations of what you want to see in Matrix 4 and what you definitely don't want to see happen? I don't want to see, I, as much as it seems, you know, obvious, I kind of don't want to see much of anything reused from the first three movies. Like, I, I yeah. feel like I feel like agents themselves are old news. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I know that you guys said the Mary of Merovingian is coming back. He was an interesting character. I can see him come back. Um I I really don't want a car chase. I, I don't want any car chases. I can't <laughs> I can't stand I can't stand car chases anymore. It's it's gotten boring. It's gotten stale because it's all the same thing. Because they've done everything they can with a car chase. Yep. So my yeah. things that I don't want to see are going to be the exact same as Jeremy's in this one. I, mm-hmm. I, I the agents' whole shtick is outdated at this point. I think we can go without saying that we can go without the car chases because, like Jeremy said, they're old. They're they're all the same. We don't need to see yet another copy-pasted car chase. Mm-hmm. What I want to see is what I've been saying throughout all the retrospectives so far is I want to see more of the backstory into characters like the Oracle and the Architect, the Merovingian, the Trainsman. I want to see these guys. I want to see these people, their backstories, their origins. More about the whole origin itself of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I want to see some sort of resolution. Like, is this going to be, you know, the complete end of the Matrix here? Or yeah. is it going to continue yeah. in the cycle that it is? And yeah. the machines are going to create a new Matrix. Right. Yeah. I Yeah, I agree, Jason. I, I, I mean, at the end of uh, of revolutions, the, the vast majority of humanity is still enslaved. In a manner of speaking, that the, the the truce is is purely between Zion and the machines. Um, so I, I agree. I I'd, I'd like to see a resolution that's a bit more final and ultimate than that. Well, because essentially, it's not even so much the human enslavement there. It's mm-hmm. more of even though that truce is there, you know how long did how long is it taking? Because this is going taken, I guess, sort of a similarity between that and you know, enslavement in our time, in America's time, and all that. How long of a time frame did it take for, you know, a truce and emancipation to be done, signed and all that, before we actually saw that translate to reality, to what we have now? It took years. It took ages for that to finally, you know, to fully incorporate in. So it's even though they have the machines and Zion have that truce, that human enslavement aspect for uh, the Matrix, it's going to take a long time for that to actually, you know, start inching closer and closer towards, you know, a freedom for them. Yeah. Well, and the question remains here, is the Matrix 4 going to be the end of the series or is this going to continue? And we don't have that answer. And and part of me worries that if... if they it make all this depends on this film. Right, but the thing of it is that if this film is written without it being final and they write another cliffhanger or they write a lot of big question marks, 
and the film doesn't succeed at the box office, are we going to be left with an open-ended ending to The Matrix and never get closure to it? I mean, this is a problem because it might ruin... I got an answer to that. Yeah? I got an answer to that, which could be an answer that the company could end up going with here, depending on how this movie does. Mm -hmm. I think no matter what, we're going to get a cliffhanger ending in the theaters. I think that's a foregone conclusion. I think that's what we're going to get. But I think they're going to have filmed for the DVD copies and extended cut where they have one that's a closed booked ending to end the series, depending on how the box office sales and the critic reviews are done to this. The problem think, there is that Hollywood never does that, though. They never I know, I know they, they never, never do, do that. But I think I could, I could see them bucking the trend on this one, that being the direction they go, depending on how this film does mm. critically and in box office numbers. If well, this it is does the appropriate really, film to do it for, that's for sure. If they were going to do mm -hmm. it, this would be the film if to this do does, it. If this movie does right. really well, I can see them going and going doing a couple more movies with this. If it doesn't do well and the critic reviews are pretty bad, mm -hmm. I, we're going to get that DVD copy that has the extended, like the extended cut, like we were saying. Not the Zack Snyder cut where they add a couple <laughs> hours and all that. I really hope that uh, that doesn't become a trend. No, because I think I, it's. That no, I don't think it's going to become a trend. Yeah. I don't think it's going to become a trend. I think that's going to be more so like very specific movies, like they do something like that with, mm -hmm. like well, movies that they where they've already gotten established, uh, where they've already gotten established um, universe for the mm -hmm. line of films, yeah. like The Matrix or. Uh, well, everybody, we lost Jason. All right. <laughs> he dropped out. Such oh. a climactic moment. Agent yes, Smith was. dropped out. Now he's back. All right. What the yeah, hell happened? I, I just dropped connection for a second there, my bad, guys. I don't know what happened. Oh, that's okay. That's but okay. like I was saying, um, those universes where they already had those couple of movies released, where they mm -hmm. already had established the universe in that sense, where that key movie, like the third, like the second or third movie in that um, line of films that they'd want to release, mm -hmm. how depending on how that movie did in the office box mm -hmm. office numbers, mm -hmm. that I think that the, this could start that trend of that where it could be a, okay. We see what's going on here. We can go ahead and actually put together the release of the, the extended version of this film mm -hmm. for DVDs. Yeah. I mean, it's not a, it's not a bad idea in theory. The, the only problem we'd run into here is that you'd have so many movies shooting these alternate endings and you would always feel like there, is there's it, an agenda. To, done? Right. Yeah. And, and you'd always feel as like every, anything could be incomplete or complete. And well, I, um, well, I know that there's going to be those points where you, anything could feel incomplete or complete, but you know, where you get to a point where obviously you know that the story for this this saga is going to be done, that's when you drop the, you know, the real ending for the film that you won. If it's at a point where it's like, oh shit, we fucked up and released a bad movie, we're not going I to end up seeing, getting money for, yes, where we're not mm -hmm. going to see a lot of money being uh, coming in for this film, and we know mm -hmm. it's going to be more of a waste of money to make another film to do the real ending for it as compared to just ending it now, do that alternate ending for the DVD copy, put that in there and be like, this is the real ending that you guys wanted. I, I think the question here is, is that was this next matrix film made for the sake of giving the series a better ending? Was it made because there was a legit good story to tell or was it made for the sake of, oh, revivals and reboots are doing really well right now. It's time to bring the Matrix back. That is the question. Is it being made because there's a good story or because we're just looking for a cash grab? And that's what concerns me about them bringing this I out think it's, and, a cliffhanger I, and ruining it. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, I think it's going to be both in this case. I think there's a good story to be told there still. 
I also think it's going to be a cash grab hmm. that they're doing this. I have been seeing a lot of resurgency when it comes to interest in the Matrix online lately. Mm -hmm. So I can see where the interest is and wanting to bring this back because people are wanting to get a real ending to the whole Matrix storyline. Well, the, I, the Matrix Force thing has been talked about for a long time. There's been many incarnations that have been discussed over the years. There was a prequel that was discussed with a young Morpheus where Michael B. Jordan was going to play a young Lawrence Fishburne. That was talked about for a while. Then there was talk of a reboot, you know, and just redoing the whole thing again or doing a so story separate. I'm glad this is the direction they chose because, to me, I didn't want to see a reboot of The Matrix. I didn't want to even see a prequel with somebody else playing Morpheus. I thought that would have been... Just that like, okay, we know what happens. You know, I don't need to see what happens before. We, we got the gist of it and the explanations in the, in the first Matrix. So I'm yeah. glad they brought Keanu back and they found a way to bring back Trinity. I, I'm i not happy that Lawrence Fishburne's not back unless they're keeping that mm -hmm. secret, which I hope to God that they are. Um, I, don't, I think why they haven't announced Lawrence Fishburne is going to be more so it's he's not really going to have a big part in the film if he's in there. Oh, I think not. it's going to be more so just like a couple of scenes here or there, and that's it. Which is really unfortunate because I think Morpheus deserves better than that. Yep. I agree. Morpheus does deserve better than that. But I think that with how the first three films went, Morpheus's big prophecy of being, you know, bringing the one into the Matrix to stop the machines. Mm -hmm. That sense of the pro his prophecy was fulfilled. I don't yeah. think he really has a purpose at this point for being a prophet of the Oracle uh, and what and you know the belief of the one and you know a prophet of the one at this point anymore. Like his purpose has been served. I think. I think yeah. he's going to live you know his normal life. He's going to live. He's going to you know finally be able to have a life with Niobe and all that for once. One could hope. <laughs> yeah, I hope that at the very least, if they if they they do reference him to at least kind of say where he is, and they don't just mm -hmm. forget about him. You know, they don't have to necessarily show him. I'd like them to, but to the very least, they better do him the honor of at least mentioning him and where he's at and why he's not in the story. Hmm. But uh, I think what I mainly want to see—I didn't even talk about what I wanted to see in Matrix Four. Um, I'm the same way. Um. I I want to see something new brought to the table. I don't want to see the same old recycled stuff. I don't want to see the same old recycled stories. I don't want to see them bring up the same fight scenes. I don't want to see them bring up the same um, reason for going into the Matrix and doing what they're doing, using the same villains. And you guys are right. The agents are played. They're tired. And they don't need to be here no more. Um just like why they didn't bring back Agent Smith, because Hugo Weaving said that he was actually uh, he was actually asked mm -hmm. to come back for this movie. Now I don't know if it was just for a cameo hmm. or it was just for you know the purpose of bringing him back as a villain. I don't know, but um, yeah, the agents it's just it's just beating a dead horse if they bring them back. Sure. See, I think Agent Smith could be a kid, a good character. But I feel like it should be like an Agent Smith sort of reborn, like redemption arc, mm -hmm. which would be a, at least a tad bit more interesting than just bringing Agent Smith back to be a villain. I feel like that would just be, eh. yeah, yeah. It's gotta be there's a lot that, there. There's got to be a good antagonist in this movie besides um, just another machine. I feel like there's got to be some sort of evolution of that machine that maybe both the Zion and the machines are fighting against. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, Terminator Dark Fate where, uh, you know, Skynet is still left over facing the new, uh, the new Skynet basically. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, and that goes back to the, um, what we were talking about earlier with the truce, I mean, as it stands, it seems that Zion really has no room to expand. Is my understanding right? Like they're they're kind of limited to where they their are, little bubble, where they are, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Which, yeah, I, I'd like to see that. That's another piece I'd like to see. Which address. I think they're going to end up addressing in this film. Hopefully, we're yeah. going to start seeing you know the rise of humanity above ground again. 
Right. Well, I wonder because the thing that we didn't get an answer to at the end of Revolutions was kind of like, are the are the machines going to really 100% back off and let the humans live? And if they do, then what is the threat in Matrix 4 then? If the machines are no longer the threat, then who is? The architect. Yeah, well, yeah, that has to be the architect, but it's like, if the architect's the, the architect threat, essentially, then... because the way I, The way I look at it is... Um, the architect essentially became a more, well, too powerful of a program for the machines to control. Hmm. I think the architect could cause more damage at this point to the machines than anything else could, and to society in general than anything else could. I think we're going to see, like, what the architect really is all about. At least that's what I'm hoping for in this film. Well, the question is, is that like, if, if, if the architect is the ultimate bad guy, then the humans really are not threatened in the real world. Then it's like, why would they even bother? Not necessarily. That would require some very good reasoning, a very good explanation as to how he's able to corrupt the real world. I mean, it's Hollywood. You never know what kind of reasoning you're going to get. But well, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna actually take like a super like sidestep here. Um, have you guys seen the TV show The 100? Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple episodes, yeah. Now, there was a season where a computer basically convinced a portion of humanity to join its cause to like cause the second apocalypse or uh, hmm. in some way because they were being guided towards the city of light. And they now, knew it was a they knew it was a computer? Yeah, they knew it was a computer. Oh interesting. Hmm. Now I think that with enough with a good enough reason for a a, a powerful enough like council member of of Zion or a, a particular form of leader uh, in Zion could be swayed if the reason was good enough to say, hey, no, let's go this way instead of going this way because I... Which I, actually makes a lot makes of sense to me. Um, I had actually, it's actually funny that you bring that up, Jeremy. Um, I had just read a um, creepypasta online recently that involved something like that, which actually gives a good reason as to how the architect could mess, like cause an apocalyptic scenario in society in the real world. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, could be that the architect, like someone, discovers uh, some like a thing that the architect's connected to, essentially releasing the architect from his so-called cage. I guess you could say in mm -hmm. the Matrix. Uh, releasing him out into the real world, he'll do anything he can to convince you and all that. Essentially, like give he could give you he could promise you power, wealth beyond your imagination. Essentially, anything that you wanted, sure, do whatever he could to break out of that so-called prison. I guess that he's in, yeah. like, and if he does, like, if he was able to break out of there, he could cause like a systematic failure to anything that. Uh, you know, like say Scion is would need as a necessity to survive, to cause any sort of realm of reality, like the, what anything they would need in order to, you know, have any chance of making it through to seeing a new generation. Mm. Sure, sure. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I assume there's probably a good legit reason. I mean, I I think the architect has probably got to be the uh, the villain here. I mean, that's. Uh, and the Merovigian. I mean, they're not bringing him back for no reason. Um, maybe him and the architect are working in conjunction with each other and somehow finding a way to. That would be a better. Doing. That would be a better pairing than mm -hmm. I think anybody else, any of the other characters in the structure of the Matrix. Because mm -hmm. it can't yeah. just be one. It can't just be one person. It has to be um, a complex web that they have to go through in order to to fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Merovigian is definitely, I think the, the right man for the job for that purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, so, okay. So that's what we all want to see in matrix four. So I guess we've come <laughs> down to the moment of where we rank all three of these films. Mm. 
So, as for, I'll start this one off then. I'm still going to far and away put one at the very top. Thank the original God. Matrix that. was no, but like yeah. I said, I've liked all three films. It just depends on which day I'm feeling, say, wanting to watch Reloaded over Revolutions mm -hmm. or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So that one's still going to be at the same level for me. Like if The Matrix, the first one was a nine, these are both at like an eight for me. Hmm. So you don't, so you can't really, you don't really know if you, how you feel about Reloaded or Revolutions one over the other. They're kind I, of, I like, I, they both have their pros and cons to me that draw me to each of the films and push me away from the, that one. Mm -hmm. the, like I said, all depends on the day that I, it is how mm -hmm. I'm feeling that particular day. Mm -hmm. I just know that, I mean, I think just about everyone here can agree. The first one is going to be the best one. <laughs> Absolutely. No question. It's a pretty much unanimous decision on that part here. We're all in agreement there. But I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about the other two. Um. Okay, so of course, first one's above and beyond. Um, I personally like Revolutions and then Reloaded. Um, mainly because when I watched Revolutions, I felt a little bit like it felt a little bit like the first one to me. A little bit. There were there were aspects in it that felt were some nice callbacks and some moments to the first film because it went back to the the uh, the mystery of the Matrix, what it was. It, it, it just felt like they were going back to things being serious and, and really trying to give the series closure, even though I think they failed in a lot of aspects there, which is what hurts Revolutions uh, greatly. Um, but yeah, Reloaded to me is the worst because like I said before, a lot of it kind of feels like a parody of the first film and there are just too many moments, especially some fight scenes, especially the Smiths and the, and the pole fighting that Alistair said. Um, <laughs> it just, to me, I look at it this way, the, 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 the or the, um, the Neo and Smith fight in Reloaded reminds me of the Superman and Zod fight in Superman 2. And we're talking how many years ago that is. Yeah. Neil before I, I General I totally get it. What did I, I totally what, get that. Did I, did, what, did I, what did I say? I said Neil Superman before General Zod. Yeah. I just, it, it reminded me so much of that those moments. And that movie was made, what, in like 78, 77? So the fact that The Matrix Reloaded looked like a, a fight scene out of the 70s, that's not good. It's not good. Yeah. So. Let's well, go ranking, to you, Jeremy. Ranking this, uh, it, it's <laughs> it's not hard. It's it's one, then three, then two, and I think three is still far better than two. Um, even with the introduction of new characters, the fight scenes, it just seems so forced. It feels more like an action movie than it does of, you know, a. I guess you could call it like a philosophical thriller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you're debating whether the the, the world never even now. thought about that. I think I think the Matrix is more of a, a philosophical thriller than it should be an action movie, and I think that three comes back to that in a very strong way. And I like the the ending fight between Agent Smith and Neo far better than even some of the scenes in um, in the first movie. Hmm. Yeah. No, and I think that's why I have a little bit of hope for four because I feel like if they ended on that direction of being more faithful to one, so I feel like that I'm glad Owazowski came back to do the fourth and not somebody else is coming in here and, and butchering mm -hmm. the story. So I feel yep. as though, you know, when, when they said that the only reason, she said that the only reason why she made this next film is because she had a story worth telling and Keanu Reeves said he read the script and said he agreed. So I feel a little confident in knowing that they wanted to make it because there was a good story to tell. I'm just hoping that it makes sense and that the explanation of characters coming back from the dead, actually, there's logic behind it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, I so, have to agree with you on that. So, yeah, I was looking at one, three, and two for you guys. What about you, mm -hmm. Al? Well, definitely the first being the best. Give it a, I'd give it a nine. Um. I'm not sure what it would take it to 10, but I feel uncomfortable giving it a 10. 
don't give out tens freely. I think that um, I think that's the what the movie is supposed to do. It though, like it's supposed to make you think whether it's actually like like the best movie that you've seen. Sure. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. I think um, after that would probably be reloaded. I'd give it a wow. an eight point nine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I would give it a. I, you guys thought I was coming with the it's sticky moment tonight. <laughs> no, I would give reloaded a uh, a six, and then I would give revolutions a five. Oh, wow! wow. So you, so you that did like low. That's a pretty. That's pretty yeah. big drop. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I have to ask. I have to ask. I, I gotta, I have to what about Revolution to you guys. you dislike so much? I didn't like that it was the the effects were the most impressive part. Kind of getting back to what I mentioned in the beginning. I just didn't I I, I didn't get into the character stories. I didn't like that the Well, I'll tell you what I did like. I did like that the main heroes went off on their own. I liked that. And I actually mm-hmm. saw a lot of people critique that, but it reminded me of Frodo and Sam and um I don't have any problem with that, but I, I did, um, I, I did think that I would have liked to have seen more of a focus on some of the other primary characters instead of secondary characters, just to develop them a bit further in the last film. Sure. Um, didn't like the love story, which we covered, um, and then yeah, felt like the the Zion battle was just a little bit smaller scale than I would have expected. <laughs> what were we gonna say, Jason? So I was gonna say after hearing everyone's different explanations and all that, mm-hmm. my order is still going to be, obviously, the um, first Matrix going to be sitting at a nine. Mm-hmm. I might have to give Revolutions the slightest edge. Hmm. Like, that would be like, a, I get like your 8.3 rep reloaded would be like 8.2. Pretty close together. Well, I guess we're doing numbers. I guess, yeah, I guess I'd give Matrix one nine. I actually would put Revolutions around an 8.8. I I I think that there's a lot of good qualities in Revolutions that, again, like I said, hunker back to the first film. And Reloaded takes a steep dive to about a 6 because it just, like I said before, the, the parody argument. So, yeah. Yeah, 9 for the first, 8.5 for Revolutions. <laughs> and then, at best, I'll give Reloaded a 7. That's a generous seven, isn't it's it? A, it's a it's an extremely generous seven. I actually <laughs> had a bad taste in my mouth when saying it. The hate on Reloaded. Hey, at least oh, it ain't a solo in Star hurt. Wars Story Five. Yeah, we don't talk about solo, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just don't talk about solo in movies that Jeremy has also convinced me were better than they actually were. All right. Hey, I know you're looking forward to the uh, the Lando TV series so you can see more of that group. Oh, yes. Oh, yay. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing Donald Glover as Lando. I, I am also. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I guess that closes the book on the Oh, major. by the way, did you all have you all been watching uh, Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Yes. Or not Captain I, Falcon, but Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yes. Um, did you notice the Captain actress? Falcon and Winter Soldier. <laughs> Captain Falcon. <laughs> Falcon Punch. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a dynamic duo. Um, Captain Falcon with his uh, right punch and then uh, Winter Soldier with his left. But um, anyway. The, uh, the, the act- actress from Solo, uh, from Solo that played the uh, leader of the mini rebellion. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. First time we've seen, at least first time I've seen her since then. But and and, get, and the thing is, she's only twenty years old. Really? Gosh, the fact that she's already okay. in a Star Wars and a Marvel a Marvel franchise—that's yeah. impressive. It's extremely Who? impressive. And uh, uh, Enfys Ness. Yeah, oh, yeah. In, uh, the solo movie. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's in. She's in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And she's only 20 years old, and I think that she has a very promising career ahead of her. Yeah, I'd excited. say so. I'm yeah, excited to see more of her. Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely excited. But, all right. I guess with that, ladies and gentlemen, the Matrix unless is we closed. have more to add to the Matrix here, 
We're close. We will be looking forward to seeing you on our next podcast with the Welcome whole group to Jurassic Park. Which we're getting into Jurassic Park. Jeremy's excited. I'm, I'm, I'm excited, excited man. So I guess with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another episode of Lights, Camera, Action Reviews. That's a wrap. No, Cut. welcome to Jurassic Park. <laughs> make it so. Yeah, oh. Make it so, number one. <laughs> we, can't, we can't ever make this right, ever we? We got it right once, and now we're never so, going to okay. get it right again. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for another episode. That's a wrap. Cut. Cut. And. <laughs> paste. And paste. Cut and paste. Cut and paste. <laughs> okay, Jason. Let's let Alistair and Jeremy close the show. Oh, no, no, we're letting Alistair close it. I feel like there's just enough time between each podcast that I forget it by each new podcast, <laughs> what we're supposed to say. That's a wrap. Then Jeremy can do the cut and print, and I can and I can cue the outro. So <laughs> let's try it. Alistair. That's a wrap. Cut and print. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. And coming later this month, we begin our Jurassic Park retrospective. Also, over the course of this month, be on the lookout for more retrospectives and podcast episodes. To read more of our reviews and listen to our podcast, go to lcareviews.com and subscribe to our podcast on all major platforms. Thank you for listening to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast.